0: Primary Care Knowledge Boost,
1: Long Covid. Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost and thanks for joining us. Um, today we're talking to GP and Professor of General Practice Research, Carolyn Chu graham all about Long Covid.
0: Yes, she's been involved in the creation of the NICE sign RCTP guidance on the subject. Um, we go through what Long Covid is and the symptoms associated with it, Uh, we discuss the prevalence and impact of the condition um, and then we go on to talk about how to assess and manage someone who we suspect has long COVID in primary care.
1: Yeah we also talk about long COVID in children and what long COVID clinics are um, as well as how to support patients
0: on this still very new journey. It was an incredibly useful chat and we hope that you take as much away from it as we did. So uh, we always kick off with introductions so that the um, listeners can know who our guest is today. So would you mind introducing yourself for all the listeners?
2: I'm Carolyn Chew Graham. I'm a GP in central Manchester and a professor of general practice research at Keele University. And I noticed that um, something peculiar was happening about a year ago with people who'd had acute covid um but were, had persisting symptoms and I did a, a small study over the summer of last year, qualitative study interviewing people with long COVID and that work contributed to the NICE sign RCGP guideline on long COVID.
1: To start us off, what is post-COVID-19 syndrome or long COVID? Are they the same thing?
2: So post-COVID-19 syndrome is the, the label that the NICE RCGP sign guideline give this condition. Um, People who've got the symptoms, the syndrome, prefer to call it long COVID. They don't really feel that that post is appropriate because they've actually got ongoing symptoms. And those ongoing symptoms can vary between patients, both in severity, but also the breadth of symptoms. The most common symptom that people who've got ongoing symptoms following an acute COVID infection, the most common symptom that people have is fatigue, but they can have chest pain, uh, shortness of breath, muscle aches and pains, cognitive impairment, odd rashes, um, suggestions of vasculitis. So a whole variety of symptoms. Gosh,
0: yeah. Um, and we, we did ask, actually, the next question is, what what symptoms um, are people describing who have long COVID? So would that tend to be the, the majority of things that come up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And people can have a combination of symptoms, Um, So some people will have the respiratory symptoms, some people have chest pains, mm, other people will predominantly have fatigue and muscle aches, other people have gastrointestinal symptoms like diarrhea and uh, vomiting, nausea, Um, other people will, will have poor cognition, so brain fog. It is very variable and people's symptoms can vary, so they can start off with one set of symptoms and then wake up in a couple of weeks with a different set of symptoms or some additional symptoms. Gosh, okay, so it evolves and changes as well. Yep.
1: Hmm. And thinking about prevalence, do we know how
2: big a problem this is? Yeah, so from the Office of National Statistics, the most recent, and that is the beginning of June, there was an estimate that 1.5% of the UK population had long COVID symptoms and the ONS used the term long COVID to say symptoms persisting for more than four weeks after the first um, COVID-19 infection, not explained by something else. Um, The the RCGP sign NICE guidance um, talks about the post-COVID-19 syndrome as over 12 weeks so it's less than that in terms of the, the long proper long COVID. But certainly 1.5% of the population is quite a sizable number. It's nearly a million people.
0: Yeah, that's quite significant. Mm. Um, and quite a, quite a big question next. But do we have any information about what might be the underlying cause of long COVID?
2: Um, I could just say no. <laughs> um, because no, we don't at the moment, but there is, um, investigation going on. I think what we need to, to remember is that there is an underlying pathological cause. I don't think we should be saying this is, um, a reaction to being ill. This is not anxiety. Certainly in the, in the first stages. So last summer, people with these symptoms felt they were dismissed by gps but by other doctors as well as having anxiety
0: right.
2: and that's not the case the fact that many people have symptoms uh, that you know reflect multiple organs suggests that it's a multi-system disorder and there's evidence from america that's perhaps it's an immune um, problem so it's an autoimmune disease and that may be supported by the fact that more women than men get long covid right.
0: And um, with you mentioning the woman men situation there, are there any other risk factors or or ways to predict who who might be at risk of developing long COVID?
2: So we know that more women than men get it. And we know that the age range sort of between about 30 and 60 is most affected, but we don't know how to predict um, who's going to get long COVID. What's important is that it doesn't depend on the severity of the initial infection. So it seems that Men are more likely to get a severe infection requiring hospitalisation and they may get some sequelae from that. So they may get post-traumatic stress disorder from being in coronary care. They may have um, muscle wasting because they've been on, on critical care for a couple of weeks and they need rehab. But the sort of long COVID that we've talked about it is not related to the severity of the initial illness.
1: Yeah. So you might have people recovering... From an intensive care stay that might not necessarily have long COVID.
2: And that's difficult because do we call it long COVID or not? That, yeah. Because they may have needs around rehabilitation, yeah. around, you know, either for physical frailty or because they've got anxiety or post-traumatic stress. Yeah. So they may have similar needs to people with long COVID. But I think we classically think of long COVID as people who've had a, a mild to moderate initial infection, not requiring hospitalisation, but having persisting symptoms.
0: Okay. But I guess that someone could have been in intensive care and then go on to develop it.
2: Yeah. And so, so certainly people who've had long, have had acute COVID infection, been hospitalized, may have sequelae. Um, yeah. and th- there's a, a study that's going on, the FOSS study, and they are following up people who have been on intent, have been hospitalized due to COVID, um, and are trying to look at the pathology underlying the sequelae that those people have. Yeah.
1: It's so new and evolving isn't it as a field of research yeah and so in primary care if we think a patient might have long covid how would we go
2: about assessing them okay so the really important thing is to listen to the patient and believe the patient so you know don't dismiss their symptoms as psychological problem a reaction to an illness or, or or anxiety um, and then the NICE guidance talks about the importance of a full history, um, maybe including questionnaires such as the case finding questions for depression and anxiety, thinking in terms of impact of the symptoms on work and finance activities of daily living, and try and identify any red flags that need immediate referrals. So, in children, this uh, a syndrome described as multisystem inflammatory syndrome. And if, if you think that might be the case and it's incredibly rare, then referral. If someone's got cardiac sounding chest pain or suggestion of, of pulmonary embolism or desaturation, they need to be referred acutely. But otherwise, the role of primary care is to rule out alternative diagnoses. So it's not, you know, we shouldn't be saying in primary care, oh, I believe you've got long COVID, you don't need any investigation. We should be saying, oh, this might be long COVID, but we need to rule out other causes, as we would with anybody who'd got, you know, a collection of odd symptoms, particularly fatigue. So, you know, thinking about could this be an underlying cancer? Could it be heart failure? Could it be hypothyroidism? Could it be celiac disease? Could it be multiple sclerosis? So we're thinking across all organs and then the NICE guidance says it's really important to offer some blood tests and and obviously depending on the presentation of the person, but also local protocols. So if you're thinking of referring to a long COVID clinic, what does that protocol ask for? And it will normally ask for full blood count, user thyroid function, possibly liver function, celiac screen, D-dimer, troponin, BNP. And then if someone's got cardiac symptoms, do you need to do an ECG? Do you need to do a chest X-ray? Look at the British Thoracic um, Society guidance on that because it's changing. Does this person actually need a CT scan or an MRI scan because they've got symptoms that might suggest um, lung pathology? Have they got symptoms that suggest hypotension or POTS? Um, So do they need a tilt table investigation and can you get that in primary care anyway?
1: Um, Just, yeah, a couple of questions from what you said. Um, the multi-system inflammation for children. Are there any sort of ways that we'd recognise that?
2: Okay, so this normally occurs in the acute phase, um, but, but can occur sometime after COVID. Children present with fever and abdominal symptoms. They may get conjunctivitis. So, you know kids often present with these sort of symptoms in primary care but what we should be looking out for is there any evidence of sepsis have they got any cardiac symptoms listen to the heart is there any suggestion that this might be a myocarditis do they have a meningitis so a child who is ill who has got um who's had a covid test and really we should be saying to any child who any parents who've got a child with non-specific symptoms fever Um, loss of taste, but also chorizal symptoms now, have you had a a PCR? Um, And if they're unwell, you know, think, is this multi-system inflammatory syndrome? Do they need a referral? Brilliant. Lovely. What's your second question about POTS, Sarah?
1: Oh, I've got a (laughs) few. I'm a terror. Sorry, Carolyn. Well, one was just to double check, just to be really clear for my own Um, thinking that if you are getting a patient who's desaturating um so they come in they're okay but then you've made them walk up and down the corridor and check their sats afterwards um is there a certain level that we're not happy that 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 we can say yes they are desaturating and that that are we also saying that's not a part of long covid
2: so that that is common in the acute phase of covid and so that will be assessed in one of the hot clinics that, that yeah. we have set up around the country and so they have their protocols for then referring in but it can occur in long covid okay. so people are still complaining that you know they they they're okay when they're lying in bed or lying on the sofa but they get up and walk to the kitchen and their sats go down right. if they've be so if as a gp someone tells me that story I'd want to know have they been investigated and if they have been investigated and nothing's been found, we would talk about sort of rehabilitation uh, and managing the symptoms. But if this is a new symptom, um, you know, they felt lousy, they bought themselves a pulse octometer and noticed their SATs are, are reducing. I'd want to ask them, you know, how how is that impacting on them? I'd want to listen to them on the phone talking to me. And then I'd, I'd probably want to examine them. So I'd want to bring them in and examine them properly. And if I felt they were unwell, I'd want to refer them either acutely or if I thought they're not unwell, they don't need admission, but actually they do need investigation, then I would refer them probably to the long COVID clinics that we've got set up now.
1: Okay,
2: brilliant. Thank you. Any more? Oh, no. Any more for any more?
1: Um, yeah, I think I did have one more. Oh, POTS. Yeah. But I don't mind when we talk about this.
2: I'm quite keen to hear about what what is POTS? So, POTS is postural tachycardia syndrome and um, is commonly seen after other viral infections. So, it has been described after influenza, but is commonly been described in long COVID. Um, it can occur with other uh, other problems as well, it can occur in chronic fatigue syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it can occur in autoimmune conditions, which is why there's a link, you know, is, is long COVID autoimmune? And... People describe lightheadedness, fatigue, and palpitations, but they can also feel nauseous, fainting. Um, They will present with a tachycardia usually. And diagnostic criteria for POTS, a sustained heart rate uh, increase of 30 beats per minute from lying to standing. And that's the diagnostic criterion for POTS. So asking a patient to lie on the couch, record their heart rate and blood pressure, then asking them to stand up and record their blood pressure and heart rate every 2 to 10 minutes and document this um, increase in heart rate and reduction in blood pressure. Um, And we should be able to diagnose it in general practice and we should be able to advise about management. Um, So specifically for long COVID, what we're seeing is on um, the, the long COVID social media groups, People talking about using support stockings, um, and also maintaining fluid, good fluid balance, increasing their salt intake, um, also avoiding triggers like alcohol, um, large meals, um, people, so patients of mine who've been seen by cardiology have had beta blockers and calcium channel blockers given, um, with some success, um, Okay, but that's not necessarily
0: part of the guidance for primary care. To, to no, so,
2: so if I think as a GP you were concerned about POTS and you didn't feel comfortable to um, manage it, then I think it's probably quite legitimate to, to try and make the diagnosis but then refer on to a, a long COVID clinic for further advice. Um, but that may may not mean that the patient needs to be seen necessarily, they just they can be given advice virtually.
0: Lovely, and that would be long COVID as opposed to cardiology? Cause I think that would be a bit... Interesting as well.
2: Yeah, so, so I think we referred to cardiology before we had the long COVID clinics. Perfect.
0: Um, and we have covered quite a lot of it um, there in that discussion, but um, are there any other important differentials that can kind of present in this way or things that we should be ruling out when, when patients present with these symptoms?
2: I think it's having an open mind. So it's important not to dismiss the person um, and say, you know, I think this sounds like long COVID. In fact, patients are coming in or contacting the practice saying, I think I've got long COVID. But I think it's also important not to say, yeah, you've got long COVID, full stop. Actually, we need to just make sure it's not a, nothing else, we're not missing anything. And I think particularly perhaps in, in an older person, so perhaps if somebody was 25, I might say, okay, this sounds like long COVID, maybe we don't need to do anything at the moment. Um, Maybe we don't need to do any blood tests and we give advice. But if somebody was 45, 50 or above, I would say, well, actually, let's just do some blood tests, maybe do an X-ray, maybe do an ECG um, and review, just to make sure we're not missing anything else.
0: And and so we've got someone that has come in and we've gone through all of that investigation. We've rolled out the red flags. We don't think we'd need to admit them. We've done this screen and everything seems to be normal. Nothing else is really coming up that worries us. Um, What would be your next steps or options for treating long COVID in primary care?
2: So I would have already talked to that person about the York COVID recovery website and get them to have a look at that. Um, And then depending whilst I was investigating them, what their major symptoms were, I might have referred them to the fatigue and pain clinic that we have available in central Manchester. They've been really helpful in in supporting people manage their fatigue symptoms Um, But it would depend on their um, on their symptoms. So, you know, if if it was predominantly respiratory symptoms, and I felt that when I reviewed them, they'd been on the your COVID recovery website, they were really no better, then I might want them to see be seen in the long COVID clinic, or I might want to refer them to a respiratory physio. Um, If I felt that they did have an element of anxiety or low mood because of the impact of their problem, then I would say to them, you know, would you like to see um, the IAPT, the primary care mental health team? Um, maybe CBT is going to help you deal with your symptoms. It's. I'm not saying that this is in your head, that this problem is imaginary, but I'm saying that sometimes, uh, you know, a, a psychological approach can help you manage your symptoms and deal with the situation you find yourself in. Brilliant. Yeah, they're really useful. Um, what is the your COVID
1: recovery website?
2: So that's an NHS website that was set up around last August, um, and in fact, whilst I was interviewing people for my study, I asked what they thought of it. And initially, people were quite um, quite negative, felt it was quite simplistic. But it has had a lot of work put into it, and now, for some people, is acceptable. Gives quite a lot of important information. Um, Initially, it talked about graded activity and people really didn't like that. There's a lot of evidence from patient groups that actually pacing is what they want to do or what they need to do. And the Your COVID Recovery website does acknowledge that now. So um, who
1: should we refer to the long COVID clinics and what are we kind of expecting them to do?
2: <laughs> so each um area of the country has set up their own long COVID clinics and there is some variability and um, each clinic has a protocol has a pro forma and therefore the GP needs to become familiar with what's required before you can refer and what you expect to get out of that referral so the, the pro forma will say have you done these blood tests have you considered a chest x-ray what are the patient's main symptoms and then you know what do you think this person needs is it respiratory physio might it be a psychological sport have you thought of IAPT um, and so it's really people where you've been through all the investigations. They are still impacted. Their symptoms are still there. Um, perhaps they've been to the fatigue clinic. Perhaps they've had a bit of CBT. Um, yeah, there's, I suppose there's two groups. One, the, the person who's got chest pain, and respiratory symptoms. You've not been able to find out why but you, th- you would like a second opinion. So in a way, you know, where we were this time last year, where we would refer perhaps to, fit to respiratory or to cardiac. And then there's the group where you've really tried your recovery website, you've investigated, you've talked to them a few times, you might have referred to the fatigue and pain clinic, and really they're not improving and they want a little bit more. And perhaps I want a bit more as a GP. Yeah.
0: And I know there probably is quite a lot of variability across the country, like you said, but what sort of um, what sort of specialists are running the clinics? Who's taking that on, into their remit?
2: Yeah, so some clinics are um, virtual. And so the, the referral form goes in, it's looked at, and a patient may have a video call by one of the team. And the team, the nice sign our CGP guidance says it has to be a multidisciplinary team inputting into it. So perhaps f- um, physio-occupational therapist, maybe occupational health, respiratory, uh, cardiology, maybe gastro, maybe liaison psychiatry or psychology. So, uh, and teams will be very different across the country. So some are GP-led or GP with special interest-led, others are respiratory physician-led, others are physio-led. Great, so like lots of different people have taken it on then. Yeah.
1: Um, So, obviously, it's very variable in terms of the people that have symptoms of long COVID and it sounds like it's really dramatically impacting on people's quality of life some of them will be off work um, how do we help people with long COVID get back into work
2: so I think as a GP it's about developing a relationship with the patient asking about their work not giving them a fit note for three months saying I'll give you a fit note for two weeks or a, or a month and we will review you And then encouraging the person to speak to their manager or to occupational health um, at work and to try and develop a plan to get back to work. Um, So I was involved with um, Occupational Medicine, Faculty of Occupational Medicine, to develop some guidance for GPs and patients but also for managers because I think managers don't know about this, this and managers and occupational health being um informed about what it what long COVID is, how people are impacted, and then being able to support somebody do a phased return. And certainly with the peop the few people in my practice that um, I've worked with, we have done very, very slow phased return. Um, and they might be going back into work or, or working from home for an hour a day for two weeks, or you know, for half a day a week for a month. Um, And so it is about maintaining that ongoing support, but working with their employer.
0: Um, So I guess we've talked a lot about the long COVID in adults, really. um, And we've spoken about the acute fears in children. But do children get
2: long COVID? Yes. And again, this was a little bit contentious. And it was thought that, you know, children... Well, well, in fact, the story was at the beginning of the pandemic, wasn't it? That actually children are really not affected. They may... um, they, they may transmit it but actually they're not not being bothered by the symptoms they certainly weren't getting the acute um, Covid uh, but actually there is increasing evidence that children do get long Covid it's not as common um, but they do get the same sorts of symptoms that adults get and it's having a dramatic effect on those affected on their schooling so it, the schooling has been impacted because of lockdown and because of not being at school and being homeschooled but added to that is now that you know this this subgroup of children who who've got long covid and aren't able to go back to school
0: and if you had a situation like that are there any different um, tests that you might do in children or are you just using the same sorts
2: of um plans the the same really yeah the same investigations you know is this long covid or is it something else that we're missing and we need to investigate and then thinking about where we refer Uh, and long COVID clinics for children weren't really thought of because it wasn't thought it was a problem. And so they, again, there's quite a lot of variability around the country, but often there's a chronic fatigue specialist or a general pediatrician who's sort of taking responsibility for for that. But I think now long COVID clinics for children are being set up because it's recognised that they are needed. And I think for children that there is quite a lot of anxiety so children are anxious about what their symptoms mean and then parents are anxious so quite a lot of support is needed around managing the symptoms and you know trying to support the child deal with the symptoms but also try and recover
0: yeah which it is quite it is quite important to be able to recognize that because of that longer lasting impact and the fact that it might not be in as many people's heads because you're not seeing as many children with the acute covid
2: yeah yeah good point
1: Um, And it's interesting um, and very, very challenging dealing with a condition this new, particularly when it's really hard to advise patients on the natural course of it. Do, Do we know much about the natural course or the prognosis
2: for long COVID? No, we don't, in a word, and and that's really difficult. It's difficult for people affected, it's difficult for practitioners. I think GPs are used to living with uncertainty, but this is a level of uncertainty that is really difficult to to manage and to help people. Um, I think what we also don't know is our... Are people affected with long COVID in the same level as the second wave, as the first wave? Because quite a lot, the ONS st- statistics suggests that quite a number of that one million people affected are actually from the first wave. Oh. And we don't know whether people in the third wave are going to be affected. And what about the variants? So we don't know whether the Delta variant, because it is slightly different, is that going to increase the amount of long COVID or, or reduce it? We don't know. So I think we're all living with that uncertainty.
1: Yeah. If I was living with long COVID and sort of struggling, particularly with the respiratory symptoms, I'd really like to know if it's looking worse or if people are getting worse during it, or it sounds like it's just very variable and it's all under all under assessment at the moment and research right? yeah
2: I, I mean it's just very variable um there are a number of support groups on social media so there's long covid sos and there's also a um, a uk doctors long covid group and I, i'm a member of that so i see stuff put up and and this group of people are obviously really aware of the evidence um and uh, you know are forever saying oh have you seen this from america or you know, this is what um is suggested um but a lot of them are the, the sort of first waivers, which is really interesting that there are you know so there are people now sixteen months into long COVID, um, and some of them are still not at work and some of them have lost the jobs.
1: But um yeah, it's a massive impact on people's lives. Um so reaching the end, what are your main learning points for people to take away from the
2: discussion we've had today? So I think it's the the key role of primary care, the fact that it's important to believe the patient, to listen to the symptoms and how the symptoms are impacting on all aspects of their life, um, to empathise, to try and understand and to, to plan a way forward, then to investigate to make sure that, you know, we're not missing anything and Obviously, you know, suggest the Your COVID, COVID Recovery website. Think about is a long COVID clinic needed? But actually, just, you know, monitor, support that person. You know, remember that general practice is about relationship based care. And I think if, if it's one thing that we can do in, uh, you know, t- as we still wander through this pandemic, is actually support people affected by this, this peculiar illness. Perfect.
0: Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Carolyn. This has been fantastic um, and really, really informative. So thank you. Yeah, that was so interesting um, to chat about that today with Carolyn. What did you take away, Sarah? Yeah, I really enjoyed
1: it. I think it's just such a good topic to cover because it's all so new and there's so many unknowns. So talking to somebody who's sort of lived and breathed it for the last uh, over a year uh, about where we're up to is really interesting. Yeah. Um, she gave such a good overview in general about each stage of kind of, you know, what, what, what is it? How do we assess for it? What investigations are useful? So it was really nice as a general overview to go over it. Um, And yeah, I think thinking more specifically about my learning points, I really liked covering uh, pots. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also um, what is normal in this condition and thinking about, also sifting through your differentials so the fact that people can desaturate when you're thinking about that long COVID area but also don't forget to investigate that desaturation as well as think about it as as part of long COVID.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I took away from it. Um, is when you take that step back, it's to to treat it like any other um, condition, really. And um, you don't normally put a label on a condition until you have done some investigations if it's required, or can you know you've ruled out some other things that it might be. And it's exactly the same with long COVID. You might have that suspicion at the beginning, but um, then you need to go and you need to look and see. Well, is it anything else, or can I be fairly certain that it is long COVID? Am I happy? There's nothing serious going on otherwise. Um, and I thought that that was just an interesting. concept that I don't think I would quite appreciated yeah. um, and I know it's quite obvious um, but uh, yeah I, I think that that's what I took away and I was also really surprised just about the impact like the number of people living with it and how mm-hmm. severe um, of a condition it can be <laughs> um, and it kind of made me reflect on the fact that a lot of the reporting statistics and a lot of the things that are in the general public media um, are about deaths and hospitalizations and things to do with COVID. But we're not really talking about long COVID and it sounds like it's going to have quite a significant impact going forward. So I think that was just surprising to me. Yeah, definitely.
1: And like she said, her work with patients and sort of understanding that some people aren't getting believed or getting any empathy for Mm -hmm. it. I think that was really interesting and important to kind of Make sure that you know that that's at the forefront of my thinking when I'm talking to people about it, and yeah, the impact on their lives. Um, but yeah. that's become apparent from sort of seeing patients as well. That you you know that that has has been clear from the way that they've described what they're living with as well. So
0: yeah and particularly with children. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the bit I've not really seen. No, and how, like the fact that if you think about that, like a child who's we don't know anything about the prognosis of this condition, we don't know how long it necessarily is going to go on for. Um and yeah. if that occurs in a child who we don't know how long that's going to affect them for, that's quite frightening. Um yeah. and uh yeah, and that surprised me. I didn't I didn't quite appreciate that it was as much of a thing in children.
1: Yeah. Um, I liked her resources as well it made me feel like I'm going to be so much more helpful now (laughs) (laughs) because I'll know where to signpost people to and I'll know what the expectations are for different clinics as well so yeah so we hope you enjoyed the episode and again massive thanks to carolyn for her time and effort and for all the work that she's put into this and uh, yeah for everyone out there if you'd like to get in touch with us um about the episode or in general you can drop us a line our favorite way is through surveys and we've got a link to our survey uh, on the episode description or you can always sort of generally um like or subscribe or tell friends um or rate us on apple podcasts and things like that and um, that always
0: really helps us as well yeah and we love it when people get in touch we do and um, when the emails come through and we actually get contact with listeners we really do enjoy it so um, if that's the step that makes you want to do it then please do perfect and we're on twitter and our handle is at pckb podcasts
1: and our email address is primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com
0: lots of different ways that you can get in touch if you want to mm. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Based. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. This was recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. Guidelines can vary
1: by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national
0: guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and
1: any links that we've mentioned in the episode.